Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy L. Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I am grateful and humbled that so many people are listening to the show live and in the archives on Block Talk Radio and also in the iTunes podcast channel. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers. Email me in between shows if you want to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest. You can reach me at tracy at tracylsatin.com. And if you're interested in coming on, I put up a Google Doc on the Facebook page. So you can look on Facebook for independent artist thinkers, and there's a Google Doc, and you can submit it um, to be considered to be on the show. In the coming weeks, some fascinating guests are coming on. Next week on Thursday, October 29th, musician David Sklar will talk about the musical life. David wrote the music from which I took the intro and the outro to, the, to this show, and I'm really happy to have him on because he's a friend. On Thursday, November 5th at 3 p.m., which is a special time for independent artists and thinkers, the Honorable Vice Consul of Italy, Steve Acunto, will be on talking about how to be a patron of the high arts. He will also talk about cultural diplomacy, which is very cool. So tune in and keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so delighted today to have novelist L.B. Lewis on. So here's her bio. Growing up, L.V. Lewis wanted to be an internationally known rock star, but unfortunately lived in the wrong part of the country to pursue that career, and neither American Idol nor The Voice were available then. An early love for the written word gave her the plan B she sought. 
Her career as a contract manager was not creative writing by a long shot, but it didn't require her to spend the hundreds of thousands of dollars required for a law degree. It does pay the bills while she dabbles in the publishing world as an author on the evenings and weekends. LV lives in Florida with her husband. They are the parents of four children, three of whom don't think they need their parents anymore. So they share their home with a sweet female German shepherd and an alpha male Pomeranian slash Chihuahua mix who thinks he rules the world. Her love for writing is only eclipsed by her love for her family. You can see more about L.V. Lewis at www.lvlewis.com. So, L.V., welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Tracy. I'm happy to be here with you. I am so happy you're here. And I have to start off by sharing with my listeners what I said to you um, just before the show started, which is that I spent this morning reading Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, and I absolutely loved it. It was funny and smart and frisky and got me revved up and just was just a pleasure to read. (laughs) Well, I am just really happy to know that you've had a chance to delve into the world of Tristan and Keisha. Thank you. Yes, um, they, it's, they it's were. Something that, oh, go ahead. Well, just they were quite the couple, and I just thought it was extremely well written and and really smart. Thank you, thank you very much. So I have some questions that you sent me, and I'm going to get to them um, after the first question. And I always start off interviews with my guests by asking this question. It's a big question, so you can take it wherever you want. And that is to tell us how you got started. How did you begin your journey? And what has it taken for you to arrive at the place where you are currently? What training did you have? When did you know you were going to be a writer? Were books a major presence in your home when you were growing up? What did you think you would be? So start with your childhood, lead up till now. Yes, uh, reading was always a big part of my life as a child. Um, Growing up in... um, a rural town um, with a family, a large family. Uh, one of the things that I did a lot of was read books. And I can remember when I was um, in preschool reading books like Fun with Dick and Jane or whatever that particular book was about It when we started our journey on learning to read. And I remember feeling so accomplished when I learned to read those books. And then it kind of um, mushroomed into other books um, like The Boxcar Children and all of the uh, Nancy Drew mysteries and The Hardy Boys. And, you know, I grew up from that to reading the classics. Um, I think I may have been one of the few who were excited when we got into uh, Shakespeare <laughs> in my <laughs> class. So I was really excited to read everything I could get my hands on, even Beowulf, which was that old English poem. I really loved those type of things when I was growing up. So, yeah, I was that nerd who loved reading. So any class that I had that involved reading or writing was just my passion at that time. Um, And then as I went on to college, I think I continued that by being a part of uh, school newspapers, school publications, um, wrote sappy poetry during times when I was, you know, having crushes on guys and things of that nature. And I remember writing some of the 
sappiest poetry known to man back in those days. <laughs> but it wasn't until I was probably around 16 that I wrote a story that was published for a now-defunct magazine called Soul Team that I was uh, able to actually see that this is something that I can do. Um, I made $75 for a story that I wrote, and I really wanted to continue writing, but my parents were kind of pushing me into a health career, and I was like, this is not what I want to do. So eventually I changed to a business uh, major because I really was not – I didn't feel like I was cut out to be a healthcare professional. So I changed my major to business when I was in college because I felt like that was a safe bet for me. But I always had in the back of my mind this idea that one day I wanted to write. And it wasn't until writing as an independent author became an opportunity for me that I really felt like I could jump into that and do it not on a full-time basis because I still have to pay the bills and, you know, we're all starving artists here. But I was able to uh, finally do some self-publication and then just jumped in with both feet after the whole phenom that is now, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey came about and some other things that happened. Um, And basically that's how I became an indie writer. So I looked at that uh, story and where it came from, which was uh, a fan fiction that was done during the years when Twilight was very big, mm-hmm. and just was talking to a friend about it one night and really joking with her and saying, you know, I should write a Fifty Shades story. And, you know, we were giving it all kinds of titles, but I finally settled on what it became, which was Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, and the rest is history, as they say. Well, you know, I did not like... I hate to admit that. I don't know if I hate to admit it, but I really I didn't like Fifty Shades of Grey. I I just found it inane and stupidly written. But when I picked up Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, I found it was smart. I found the characters were crisp. I just really enjoyed it. And I would have liked Fifty Shades of Grey if it had at least made me frisky, but it didn't even do that. I was so appalled by how bad the writing was. I just I couldn't get past that. So I was really happy oh. morning as I'm you know, reading through Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever thinking, hmm, I'm going to call my husband pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, you know what, that makes me feel good. I have done my job. (laughs) If if that's what happens every time someone reads it, then I have done my job. There you go. Well, you had sent me this question, are you an indie author or traditional, and why did you choose to go that route? You want to talk about that? Well, I'm indie. Yes, I am an indie author, and I'm indie by choice. Um, When I began writing as a middle-aged empty nester, I didn't want to spend all of my time sending out queries uh, to agents and trying to find a publisher to pick me up. That was just not something that I wanted to do. And as um, self-publication became a real option for me, that was what I chose because I didn't want to wait around for someone else to validate who I was as an author. I feel like readers can validate you just as well as the big five can. So at that instance, when it became the real possibility for me to self-publish, I decided to just go with it. Yeah, I think, you know, 
reading, I was reading um, on the Kindle this morning because um, Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, I think right now it's free. At least it didn't cost me anything. Um, so I would yes, encourage free. Uh-huh. all of my listeners to go get it because it's really, it's a great read. And it's beautifully formatted. There's no difference between your Kindle book and other Kindle books I have, you know, I've, I've obtained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I take a lot of pride in doing what I do. Um, and I think sometimes to my own detriment, I do a lot of um, editing. I do a lot of formatting and, and trying to make it look as much like a traditionally published book as possible. Um, I don't like for there to be typos in my work. And, you know, you can look at a manuscript a hundred times and you will miss something inevitably. But I try very hard not to have any mistakes in it because there's been a lot of um, people in the traditionally published world who have criticized indies for having stories that are riddled with errors and the formatting is bad and all those types of things. So I, I take pride in what I do, so I try to make it look as much like any other published author out there. So well, that's I one think, of the things that I like to do. Yeah, well, it really shows. You know, you care about production values, and what I always say is the difference between self-publishing and independent publishing is production values. And you, it's really obvious when I was reading the Kindle book that you care about production values, and my reading experience was really excellent because of that and that makes you independently published i think you know the technology is such that people can swap any old thing out there but i agree with you that it detracts from the reading experience and it detracts from the field of independent publishing it certainly does and um you know i have just i guess i've always been that type a personality who wants perfection or as close to perfection as I can get. None of us are perfect, really, but in this world of writing and putting out self-published work, you have to be really careful to put out a product because it's going to reflect back on you. Exactly. Exactly. So now I'm going to get to the good question that you sent me. Why do you write in the multicultural contemporary romance genre? Have you written in other genres, or will you write in other genres in the future? Well, I do it because I feel like I have stories in me that can be told from a person of my ethnicity's point of view. Long before there was a dearth of books by and for people of color, I longed for more stories where the heroine looks like me. When Terry McMillan published Waiting to Exhale back in the day and I believe it was around 1992, she became a bestseller. And then publishing houses began to take notice because people of color read and they were like, okay, if people of color read, then we need to get more books out there for them to read. Then they began to take seriously the idea of creating a genre for us. And so I I wanted to do something to add to that um those writers who were coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, those writers of color who were adding to the genres that heretofore were not even out there. Um, And that's one of the reasons why I did it. The other one is, you know, I look at people like Shonda Rhimes, um, Toni Morrison, 
um, people that I really admire in both writing and in producing television shows. And I want the characters that I create to be multicultural. I want them to be diverse so that people can look at them and say, you know, these characters come from the same type of melting pot that is our country. And that was really very important to me. So that's why I began to write in the multicultural genre. Because one day, you know, we want people, and I have always loved him for saying this, but Dr. King said that he wanted people to judge him by the content of his character and not the color of his skin. And that's kind of the way I want people to judge my characters, you know. Um, I've written in other genres like literary short fiction, I'm writing now a paranormal series that's going to be published with a group of authors next year. I want to write a YA series, which I've been hoping that one of my children will help me with. So that's coming in the future as well. But um, eventually, L.V. Lewis is going to be writing mainstream fiction. It won't really have a title or a genre. It'll just be good stories that I can put out there for people to read. Well, Keisha, am I pronouncing it right, Keisha? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, she is a different ethnicity than me and a different background, but she was so spirited and intelligent uh-huh. and full of life that I related to her. I, you know, even though her background and mine are different, she as a character transcended that and came alive for me um, in this really vital way. Well, I'm happy to hear that because I wanted her to be someone that people could identify with. Um, And before I um, actually came up with the name of the series, it was such a misnomer for her because she is such an intelligent person and a person who um, is much more than that title uh, pigeonholes her to be. And I wanted people to see that. And unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of... um, help in branding the series before I actually put it out there. So that's one thing that I really feel like I could have gotten a little bit more help in or researched a little better. But other than that, I feel like um, Keisha as a character was fully developed. She was someone that people of many ethnicities could relate to. I I absolutely feel that way about her. And um, I just want to mention one of my favorite authors when I was growing up, whose work had a, had a profound effect on my own work. And, in fact, his book, Goat Song, has, you know, I owe a debt of that from my novel, Immortal, but it was Frank Yerby, who was African-American, who eventually left the United States because he just couldn't deal with the racism. And I think he settled in Spain. Have, have you read his books? Mm-hmm. They're historical novels. Oh, I haven't. I'll, that'll be a new author that I can be introduced to. Thank you for well, telling me about him because yeah, I haven't Yerby, read any of his books. His book, Goat Song, is pretty phenomenal. It was a big thing in my head when I was a kid. It's, um, it's about a slave in, in ancient Greece, um, and it's just really mm-hmm. an amazing book. I mean, I didn't even know wow. he was African-American until I grew up. I just loved his books. Yep, that is great, and I will have to read him. Another author that I loved that I found out was um, biracial is... Um, the writer of all the Musketeer books, and um, Alexandra Dumas. One of the things you, yes, when you oh. asked me about you know what I, what genres I want to write in later, I forgot to mention that 
eventually I want to write something about his life and, you know, kind of loosely based on his life, something that kind of, um, it's fictional but wonderful, sort of like uh, Shakespeare in Love. I love that movie. And I, and I wanted to do something like that with Dumas' life. That's fantastic. I look forward to reading that. Okay, awesome. So another great question that you sent me, and that is your existing stories lean toward the erotic. The erotic Was that an intentional choice? Man, that is some frisky book that I was reading this morning. <laughs> Got my well, answer, <laughs> <laughs> I I'll have to say honestly that was sort of a fluke. Well, not so much a fluke in that, you know, it became this thing that was bigger than life. But when I started out, that was really not my intention to go into that genre. And I think I've told a lot of my readers in the past this story. One night I was on the phone talking to a friend in Atlanta, and it was during the heyday of the Twilight stories and Everybody uh, either loved or hated them, you know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my daughter introduced me to those stories, and I thought, you know, after reading them, I was like, okay, it's time for me to get serious about writing again. So at the po- at that point in time, I was reading quite a bit of Twilight fan fiction. Don't judge me, people. Those <laughs> Some of the stories that were written were just wonderful <laughs> And as a matter of fact, at that point when I was into the Twilight fan fiction, I actually um, kind of rubbed elbows with E.L. James, if you will. At that time, she was known as Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. And, you know, we all wrote a lot of fan fiction. And it was just a way to flex that writing muscle because I hadn't done it in so long and I needed something and I wasn't ready to, like, put my writing out there for the whole world yet. So there was this fandom that you could do that in and practice. So I did that for a while. And I was on the phone talking to a friend, and we were just really um, just laughing and yucking it up over um, E.L. James's new book that was published. And, you know, I started teasing her, saying, you know, I need to write a Fifty Shades book, and we need to do uh, Fifty Shades of Soul or Fifty Shades of something. So I ended up coming up with the name Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, and that's how I ended up getting into writing erotic stories. It was never a conscious decision or something that I said, you know, one day, oh, I'm going to start writing erotic stories. No, it was really a joke, but the joke turned into something serious when readers started writing me and saying, hey, we love Keisha, we love Tristan, and then it became real for me. And I said, you know what, I might as well go ahead and several more books in this uh, series. And so that's how the series was born, and that's how I ended up being in erotic writing. But other than that, it was not a conscious decision that I made. It was just... Uh, being in the right place at the right time, I'll say. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about you should have branded it better, do you want to talk more about that? Well, you know, um, as people of color, you know, we've gone through a lot in this country, and I don't want to offend anyone. I do know that uh, some of the terms that I may have used in jest really were terms that 
some people in our community are not comfortable with. Jungle fever is one of those terms. Um, Ghetto girl is one of those terms. Um, But I am a person who likes to poke fun at things that otherwise are very hurtful. Um, When I think about, you know, shows like Saturday Night Live or, you know, shows where uh, satire is used to help people to deal with certain subject matters, you know, that was what I was hoping to do with the book. It was never meant to be something that was hurtful or something that would make my people less than proud of me as a writer. And it was hurtful for a while because some people were really very, you know, readers are very blunt. They will tell you exactly what they feel about things. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I got a lot of uh, encouragement. I got a lot of people who really understood where I was going with it, who knew that it was not something meant to malign our race in any way or um, to just um, push any kind of agenda. It was just something that was done as purely entertainment, and that was the only way that I meant it was as entertainment. So, you know, there are still people who, you know, have a certain feeling about it. But mm-hmm. the fact remains that it it met um, not a need so much as it, it entertained and it provided um, a book in the same vein as the Fifty Shades of Grey books, but for multicultural people who might want something just a little bit different. So that was why I did it. And it wasn't ever meant to be something that was intentionally hurtful. Well, I think anybody who reads it, Keisha respects herself. You know, she has Mm -hmm. a fundamental self-respect. I don't, I think anyone who read it would resonate with that and would see there's nothing hurtful about that characterization. Yeah. But, you know, people are different, and, and they all have different um, types of genres they like. One person's cup of tea may not be for another person, and I get that. I really do. And so, you know, I had to do a lot of disclaiming in the beginning, um, letting <laughs> people know that this is not meant to be this. Um, you know, people are very blunt. They will just ask you the hard questions. So I answered the hard questions. Whenever I could, you know. So, well, to to go back to how you've created these stories, have your experiences with real life romance informed you as a writer? Oh yes. Um, um, when I was when I was thrust into college at at the tender age of seventeen, I was woefully unprepared for going out into the world on my own, you know, grew up in a small town, went off to college and, you know, the inevitable crushes that you have on guys, you know, sometimes I picked the wrong guys, <laughs> you know, it was awful. But then those are the things, those hurtful things that happened to you in your past or those things that just don't work out sometimes give you the best fodder for writing. So, yes, I've had my share of broken hearts. I've had my share of situations that just didn't pan out for either of us and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, you know, I've had those opportunities to 
live the kind of life that young people in the United States are afforded to live and going through all the rites of passage that they do. And, yeah, it kind of gave me that experience that I could pull from to write a story like this featuring Keisha, a girl from the south side of Chicago. Not that I've ever lived in Chicago, but I've spent a lot of time in that city. I have family there. My husband has a lot of family there. So it was just a place that I chose to set the books. And um, I I put myself in the the me that grew up in the South, in Keisha's place, in the city, and just wrote that character um, based on my past experiences and maybe the experiences of some of my other relatives, nieces, nephews, and, you know, people that I've met over the years. You kind of throw a lot into stories when you're writing characters. You pick up from all facets of life, and that's kind of what I did when I was creating uh, Keisha and Tristan because I've never known a billionaire, but I just kind of guessed at what he would be like, you know, this billionaire that Keisha fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And so what is your writing process, and do you use Microsoft Word? And I asked because... I recently bought and fell in love with Scrivener, which has revolutionized my writing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My writing process is simple. I am a pantser. I kind of fly by the seat of my pants. I write um, without much of an outline. I do a very um, rudimentary outline when I'm writing because it invariably changes as I get further and further into a story. So I try not to just, you know nail myself down to any particular trajectory for the story. Um, And I write with Word right now, and this is from a person who has two copies of Scrivener, one for Mac and one for PC. Uh And I keep saying as I write more and more that I'm going to begin to use Scrivener more because it's a wonderful program. But I haven't had the time to really um, buckle down and learn all the ins and outs of using it. So I've been kind of loath to just jump into it and not know what I'm doing. So I've continued to write on Word for right now, but eventually I hope to move to Scrivener because it's supposed to make life so much easier for me as a writer. Oh, my um, God. I just recently, it, it is feature yeah. You have to invest some time yeah. in watching. The t- I, will been, I watched tutorials for like a week. I, I did 100 I tutorials. Know. I did there the tutorial they send, and now it's just like, wow, it's just, it's unbelievable. Just, it's what a tool for mm-hmm. novels. Because about, for me, word starts to get to be drudgery at about 15,000 words. And then, you know, mm-hmm. once you get past 15,000 words and, you know, and then you have to come back to a detail you wrote in Chapter 3 or was that in Chapter 6? And that's just where Scrivener is totally brilliant. Um so do you? How do you get your ideas for books? I know the first one you said it came out of fan fiction and talking with a friend. What about mm-hmm. some of your other stories? Um, I have um, some some novellas that I've written for um, a series called The Den of Sin, and I do those with uh, other authors: Holly Trent, Melissa Blue, and Ambriel Kirk. Um. And Renee Luke, she's our newest um, in that series. So well, that's um, those titles, stories, Den of Sin, are they frisky? 
Yes, they are frisky. <laughs> they are very frisky. They are all set in this shared world in New Orleans, and um, they are all set in this hotel called the Baudelaire. Um, and, yeah, they are frisky books. I'll give you that. But in those titles that I write, in in my own uh, you know world that I use, um, I try to write about things that mean something to people. Even though it's a frisky book, I want it to have, you know, um, I like my porn with a plot. This is something we used to say a lot in the fan fiction world. Is it porn with plot or is it just straight porn? <laughs> so, but, yeah, I like to have mine with a plot. So the stories that I've written for that series involve, the first one was involving a woman who had a double mastectomy and um, she was paired with a guy who actually had a limb, um, a limb that he lost when he was in uh, the Marines. So it was just, a, I don't know, it just I was thinking about women who have breast cancer, and at the same in the same week, I guess I was thinking about the men who bravely give their lives for this country in war. And they, those two characters just kind of jumped out at me, and I just began to write the stories about those two. And the second I love that. story I, love I wrote. That. I love that. Yeah, because, thank you. Um, you know, I think women who've had a mastectomy or a double mastectomy, they really face um, an uphill climb when it comes to reclaiming their femininity because so much of femininity is associated with breasts. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that was my whole uh, premise for writing that for women to be able to identify with this character, Karen, that I wrote. And then with the guy, you know, it's just in our news every day about young men who go off to war in the Middle East and uh, come back, you know, maimed in some way, whether it's physical or emotional or whatever, you know, they are never the same when they return. So mm-hmm. I wanted to tackle those two very um, serious subject matters in, the, in that book. And even though it was a romance and it was them meeting up in this risque little hotel in New Orleans, <laughs> I wanted this to be a story that resonated with readers in another way. So and what's the name that's, of that book? Uh, that, that one is called Redeeming the Amazon. Redeeming the Amazon? And then I'm just redeeming the Amazon, yes. Uh-huh. And then the second one is Rekindling the Flame. And um, this particular book um, involved um, a woman who is a, um, for for a better word, she uh, start, did a startup out on the West Coast, and she... Um, meets this other IT guy in the hotel who works for her brother. And this story was um, about people making life choices, and she was um, she lost a fiancé because she wouldn't make the decision to put her career on the back burner to start a family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's kind of devastated by that when she meets this new guy um, who works for her brother. And, you know, it it shows how sometimes, surprisingly, you can find that person who was meant for you even when you didn't get what you thought you deserved 
the first time around. So it was very much a second chance romance, one showing a woman who was very career oriented and who wanted to do some great things in her life and her career. But she also wanted love and a family, but she wanted it on her terms. Mm -hmm. And she found someone who was willing to work with her in that whole dynamic. That sounds really good, too, because we're still, as women, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, I feel that there are still choices I've made through my life to put kids first um, and to put my career second, and sometimes it was really hard because I've been passionate about writing since I was a kid. Mm-hmm, Yeah. And I, I mean, we're still being thing. asked to make choices um, men don't have to make. That is so true. And I actually did that at a time when when I when I wrote that story at 16 and made a little money at it, I was so gung-ho about my writing and wanting to pursue that. But, you know, I kept listening to um, my elders. And I was a good girl, so I listened to my elders, and I went into – uh, something that they felt would be a better fit for me. But I always wanted to write. And it was just giving up on that felt like so much of me was dying. Even though, you know, I went through all of the right moves, I met the man of my dreams, I married him, we had children together, we lived a good life. I have always wanted to write, and putting that aside was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. But I looked at my children who were small and who needed me, and I made that decision because I said, if not me, then who's going to do this for them? Mm -hmm. So I gave up what was my passion at that time to raise my children, to get them to a point where they could take care of themselves because they didn't ask to come. You know, we made the decision to have those children, so I needed to make that decision. And, you know, some women have that great opportunity to have a spouse who will take some of the burden off them so they can do what it is that they are more passionate about. Um, A lot of times we live in these traditional roles. I was a traditional wife. My husband was this traditional husband. So it fell on me to be the mother and the nurturer that I needed to be when my children were small. And I don't regret that. I think I raised three wonderful human beings. Um, I lost a child during um, one of my pregnancies, and I still count her among the children that I have. I had four mm-hmm. children, but one that I did not get to know as well, a person. Well, she, she's with you in but spirit. I tell you, yes. Um, and so basically, you know, the decision that I made, to take care of them when they were small is not something that I regret. But I do feel like, you know, I would have been further on with my career as a writer if I had started and kept doing it while they were there, while, I mean, while I was, you know, young. And, you know, a lot of times you get these opportunities just once in your life. But I have been fortunate enough to get this opportunity again. So I'm Mm -hmm. just going to run with it. Good for you. That's, that's, you know, I think... Everything you're saying is amazing and wonderful. What does your husband think about these erotic tales you're weaving? (laughs) You know, it's so funny. Men are, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, if you do what you need to do for them, they're okay. And I think a lot of times, you know, when I'm up late writing some scene, 
you know, he's the one who ultimately gets to benefit from it, okay? So <laughs> that's all I'm going to say on that subject. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's he's you. okay with that. Okay, well, that's good. He's he's uh, reaping the benefits and being supportive. Yeah. So who has inspired you? Who are some of the authors you've read who've influenced you and who has inspired you? It doesn't have to be authors who've inspired you. So this is kind of two questions all together. Um, one of, one of the uh, people I mentioned earlier is Toni Morrison. I've always loved her work. I think I have just about every book she's written and read every book she's written. And she's amazing. Um, I love um, Walter Mosley. You know, he writes mysteries, uh, Mm -hmm. Devil with a Brood Dress, all the Easy Rollins mysteries. Love him. Um, I love J.D. Robb because her futuristic police procedurals are just some of the best books ever. And her character, Rourke, oh, my God. I, You know, I think I may have patterned Tristan White after him just a little bit uh-huh. <laughs> because he's this, you know, billionaire, futuristic, you know, mogul. And I love that character so much as I was reading her books. You are someone who inspires me. When I oh. start reading your uh, books, I was so fascinated with that world that you built and those characters. Emma, oh, my goodness, love her. Arthur, oh, my goodness, he is such a swoon-worthy character. So, yes, there are a lot of writers who inspire me. But um, for the most part, you know, I read some of the same books by the same authors, and as I find new ones, I add them to my um, authors that I love to read. Some of them are my contemporaries, like Melissa Blue and Holly Trent and Ambriel Kirk and Renee Luke and Nia Forrester and um, Zyla Turner and some other authors, uh, Delaney Diamond. They're all people that I love because their writing just inspires me. And I'm just happy to call those people friends because we – sit in little groups on Facebook sometimes and talk to each other about the writing world and what we want to do and Mm. genres that we want to try and all those other things. So I have quite a few people that inspire me. Well, I'm honored you mentioned me. And the list could probably go on. Mm -hmm. And um, what do you have going on coming up right now? I think you had a recent release just, just recently. Yes, actually, that one is called The Venture Capitalist. And, you know, after Gray came out, (laughs) my writing partner that I'm getting ready to turn the whole series over to said, you know what, instead of just delving right into writing the third book and the fourth book, I think it would be a good idea for us to go ahead and do um, the point of view of Tristan in this whole thing. And I was, like, all for it because at that time I was changing jobs. I didn't have a lot of writing time that I could set aside to actually go into the third book myself. And I had decided, you know, several years ago when my nephew was sick with cancer before he died that I was going to start writing things that I could, you know, get my family to read, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, The erotic genre was 
something that I did for this season in my life. But I want to move on to things that I can, you know, show to my coworkers or give to my family as gifts. And, you know, it just feels kind of weird to give them a little, you know, sexy book or whatever. Uh-huh. So I wanted to do some different things. And so I, I decided long ago that I was going to give Double Switched and the next book in the series over to someone else. And I just had to find the right person, and I finally did. So what we did was we took Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever, and um, she just tweaked it and wrote it in Tristan White's point of view. And then I went through it to make sure everything was, you know, still as I had envisioned it from the beginning and all those things did some little editing things and all of that, and we published that one on October 20th, and it's called The Venture Capitalist. Um, and so it's by the time we got into the... Now? I'm sorry? So The Venture Capitalist is live on Amazon now. It is, actually. It came uh, out on Tuesday. Uh-huh. So it is live on Amazon now. Awesome. And is it also, where else can it be found? Um, actually, it's it's exclusive to Amazon. It's a Kim, Kindle Unlimited, so mm-hmm. um, it will only be on Amazon, but in every country where they sell Amazon. So, yeah, I've, I've started doing that with my books too. I think the Kindle Select is an interesting program. How do you like working with a mm-hmm. partner? You know what? It was so very easy and. It was one of the things that I was looking to do because, like I said, I did not want to continue writing erotic romance, and it was something that I needed to do for my sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I started out writing these little short stories and putting them in magazines, and it was such a departure from what I usually wrote that, I just needed to do something else. After doing the two books, I needed desperately to do something else. But it was so great working with someone else because she basically just took a lot of the narrative that I had, I'm sorry, a lot of the dialogue that I had and uh-huh. added her own narrative to it. So that was really great. Um, I wasn't, I didn't need to do a whole lot. And I couldn't at that time because I was changing jobs. My former job had gotten to be so toxic that I needed to make a change, and I finally um, got a new job. So um, the learning process for this new job became um, such a big thing that I really couldn't devote a whole lot of time to writing new stuff. So I needed someone to help me, and when she came along, it was just a great time. Um, right before I got this job is when she came along, and I really, really needed um a break because I couldn't seem to spend enough time writing and I couldn't write fast enough to get the books out fast enough. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know what, now it's time to give this to someone else, someone who can spend that time. And, you know, collaborating on these two was the perfect thing because then it was just like this great introduction for her and then she can just take the reins in the next book and just go on. But in the middle of doing this one, we found out that we really couldn't fit all of his story in that one book. And it was kind of sad because I wanted it to be done and over. You know how you you do something for so long you want it to be done. 
mm-hmm. and it just didn't happen that way. And once we got to that point and realized that that was what was going on, I tried to let people know as soon as possible that, hey, this is not going to happen in one book. It's going to be just like the original. The originals were, it'll be two books in his point of view, and then she can move on to Jada and Nathan's stories. That's that's really interesting. I've never worked that way, but I'm I'm glad to hear you've had a good experience of it. Mhm. Yeah. And it always depends on who you're working with. When I did the uh, Den of Sin books with the other authors, it was so great because we all had our separate stories, but just in the same world, and that was a great experience too. Um, I have had other um, that weren't as great. But I don't want to talk about those. <laughs> I, I like the good experiences, and I try to dwell on the positive rather than the negative. I agree. And, LV, where do you see your writing and your books going in five years, ten years, and twenty years? Wow. Um, in five years, I hope to have made the transition from being known as this erotic author to a mainstream author who writes, you know, in genres that will be things that might potentially become something that someone will read, you know, years and years and years from now after I'm gone. Um, That's where I want to eventually be. Um, Ten years from now, I'm hoping I'll have bestseller behind my name. (laughs) Yo, uh, in go, five years, you I go. hope to have you do it. <laughs> yeah. You definitely have and, and you know Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I I hope the same for you because your books are so wonderful. So wonderful. So so smart. I just I just love the world that you created and like I said, author, you know, he could be the man for me. If I weren't already happily married. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What does it feel like for you when you face the empty page? I guess it's an empty word doc. It sounds like you just motor through, but talk about that. Actually, no. (laughs) Most of my friends will tell you that I am a notoriously slow writer. Um, And I have had that dreaded thing called writer's block. When I do face the page, the blank page, I like to come at least with the kernel of an idea to begin. And sometimes I'll even have that first sentence, and I'll just, you know, let it dovetail from that. But there are times when I look at the blank page and I think, what am I doing? I don't even know what I want to say right now. And that I hope those times remain few and far between, but... You know, sometimes things in life happen that kind of take your creative mojo away, if you will. And it's mm-hmm. happened to me on occasion. Um, and usually it was dur- during the times when I was going through personal crises of some sort. I mm-hmm. don't do very well creatively when I'm going through stressful situations. I hear you. Speaking of situ- stressful situations, what are some of the obstacles you've encountered and how did you come through them? Well, <clears throat> this um, when I when I first began the series, there was a time when 
I felt really um, pressured by my readership because of people's differing opinions about the book. And for a time, I was just really stressed out about it. But I decided that, and, and, you know, different writer friends and different readers who have come forward and really um, made me feel like what I was doing was worth something because I was really down for just a brief period of time when it happened. But I said, you know what, you should have known because the books that they were patterned after, if you will, were kind of uh, the ones that you either loved or hated. (laughs) And there were a Uh lot of those uh, situations that happened to me in the beginning. And because of the branding that I chose for the books and that kind of thing. Um, But I was able to rise above that because, you know, what I felt like was I was doing an awfully terrible disservice to the readers who enjoyed the books those readers who got the entertainment value they were looking for from the book. And I just decided one day, you know what? You're not going to please everyone. You have to decide what you're trying to do, do what it is that you have purpose to do, and then the rest of it, the chips have to fall where they may because you cannot ever please everyone. So... After that was over and done with, I said, okay, I'm moving forward. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to write because it's my passion. I'm going to write because I love it, and I'm not writing to please any particular person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So did so you see some, how I really got some negative reviews or something? Were you attacked personally? Um. At, at one point I was, but, you know, like I said, I don't like to dwell on negative. And mm-hmm. it was hurtful when it happened. But as time went on, you know, I was surrounded by all these wonderful readers. I was surrounded by book clubs who love the book. One in particular is building relationships around books. They embraced me at a time when I just really didn't know if, it had been a good idea for me to put the book out. Mm -hmm. But once they did, and I had all these wonderful readers coming forward and who were saying, we love these books, we love this, we love that. You know, there was a, um, and and most of it came from like, you know how people are on Goodreads? Oh, I don't read There was a group of people. I can't read them because, I, I don't read them because some people are vicious just to be vicious. I know. And you know how they do all the little memes and all the little um, gifs and things? Oh, my goodness. I had so many of those when I first started. I was like, I am not going on here ever again. And it was so hurtful to go on Goodreads and see all of those little things that they thought were funny, but they were, like, attacking you. And I don't know. It was just weird. No, there's a problem. They're starting to recognize that there's a serious problem in some of these review places like Goodreads where the reviewers are not really reviewing a book. They're just spewing venom. Um, What do they call it? Mm -hmm. Trolls or Mm -hmm. something like that. And I think Mm -hmm. what I just decided to do is you have to maintain a presence on Goodreads, but I just don't read the reviews because I'll have, you know, 
there'll be people writing the most inane, nasty, negative things, and then other people who are real mm-hmm. reviewers writing really interesting stuff that may or may not be critical, and those are worth reading. But it's not worth mm-hmm. it to me to get wrap my head around the negativity. Right, right. So, so we, I guess, we only have about... Uh, we have about four minutes left, and I want to make sure before okay. we lose time that everyone knows where to find you. Can you tell us all your social media sites and so forth? Okay. My um, my webpage is www.lvlewis.com. I have a group on Facebook called The Block. It's just the name that we call it, but... The name of the group itself is called Keisha and Jada from the Block. <laughs> so it's oh, a long, cute. crazy name, but they can actually find that page if they look up, you know, Keisha and Jada, and then the rest of it will just populate. And it's um, a Facebook page where readers who like the books um, congregate and talk about them and that sort of thing. I also have a Twitter and uh, my Twitter name is at LV underscore Lewis, and uh, people can follow me on Twitter. And, of course, they can follow me uh, under my name, LV Lewis, on Facebook. And you have an uh, Amazon page, um, author page, right? Have and people an can go on Amazon and just look up mm-hmm. LV Lewis and you'll you'll come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So L and LVLewis.com. So what's a fun fact about you that people might not know? Uh, I am um, <laughs> I am a lover of comic book characters. A lot of my friends don't know this about me. Um, a That's middle-aged cool. woman who is just you know, just just besotted with comic book characters. <laughs> so yes, I favorite? am an X Men fan. I love um, the Avengers. I love just all types of comic book characters. Um, and I guess I am, what is the female version of Peter Pan? That's who I am. A lot of people don't know this about me. So I'm sharing it now. That is cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Thank is there you. any last words you want to say to the listeners? I just like to say thank you first for uh, Tracy inviting me on her show. Thank you for the listeners who've come on who may have learned some things about um, this person who is aspiring to be the next literary uh, classic writer that you'll hear about in years to come. Now I'm just kidding. But thank you all so much. I hope that you will go and get your copy of Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever while it's free. And write me and let me know what you think about it or write a review on Amazon. Well, thank you, LV, for being on. It was great to have you. Thank you. And thank you. So, listeners, that was the one and only LV Lewis, and I urge you to go get Fifty Shades of Jungle Fever because it's great. It's wonderful to read. Join us next week. We have David Sklar, musician, on, and the following week, Stefano Cunto, the Honorable Vice Consul of Italy. Till next week, thanks a bunch. This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.